welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly, as well as the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. You can check us out on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr, pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes. And uh, on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. All right, this week on more to come, SBX and the Brooklyn Book Festival. (laughs) Uh, Still together on the same weekend, but coming up... uh, the weekend of the 16th and the 17th. Uh, Craig Yo and the Comics Journal and the, their discontents. Uh, sales. Uh, and Japanese scanners arrested. Uh, Inhumans and the IMAX. And uh, then the news brief. So, uh, festival season will be Comics Arts Festival season. That's right. Season. The fall season is kicking yeah, off. The and as, Yes. As usual, we have... Um, a conflict with Brooklyn and SPX in the same weekend yes. as always, but you know what? It all works out. Yeah, it, yeah. It's not, you know I, I'm actually not ma- ma- moderating any panels, but I'm still gonna do my split personality thing. I'll be down at SPX on Saturday and back in Brooklyn on Sunday. So, are there any good uh, graphic novel programming for Brooklyn during the week with the uh, extended festival? Yes, there is indeed. I mean, in fact, this year at the Brooklyn Book Festival. I mean, this has got to be one of the really great. Uh, festivals for comics this year. I mean, there's more than 30 comics artists, writers, related people uh, that will be either doing presentations of one kind, part of the programming on uh, Saturday and Sunday. And yes, uh, the bookend events, which are usually the events in the week leading into the weekend, um, there's some great ones. For instance, oh no, luckily I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, uh, there are some great ones if I can figure out bookends. Okay, there will be a comics carousel at Union Hall. Now I don't know—is that that's not Robert Sikoyak's carousel? Yeah, it is. Yes, it it is. is. Oh, okay, because I don't have any names here. So that's going to be at uh, at Union Hall. Gene uh, Yang is going to be at the Ch- the Chatham Square Library on East Broadway on uh, Friday the fifteenth. Let's see. Uh, there's even more. Uh, those storytellers from Mother Magazine and uh, the chairman of the Graphic Novel Committee. Which consists, actually, the chairman is Meg, the fabulous Meg Lim- Limke, and it also consists of uh, equally fabulous Karen Green, and the awesome Joan Hilty, and me, <laughs> you know, trying to be helpful. Uh, but uh, Mama Takes the Mic, Magic and Madness from Storytellers at Mother and Hip Mama magazine will be at the Powerhouse Arena in Dumbo, uh, and the Bushwick Book Club presents Me K Bible with Dame Darcy. So the the bookend events, which are usually a, you know some sort of event off site during the early week, um, will be going on that week. Um, there's more. Yeah, who are some of the comics guests headlining the Brooklyn Book Festival? You know, Heidi, I'm glad you asked me. Yeah. That. Um, among some of the great ones are I, I think I've already mentioned Gene Yang, uh, but Gabrielle Bell will be there. 
Seymour Quast, you know, Quast. We were just talking about that. Trost. Trost. Okay, my apologies, Seymour. Uh, I'll do better in the future. But, I mean, there's a long list. Um, uh, Yasmin Omar Atta, who has a new graphic novel out, Miss Hadra. Uh, Penelope Bajou. uh, I think I mentioned Gabrielle Bell. Dee Bui was the best that we could get that her biography the best that we could do from Abrams which is memoir. A, which is her, her Vietnamese memoir yes. I want to say that book's really been growing I think yep. like uh, over the course of the year came out uh, Absolutely. I believe earlier this year but the very at the start of the year but it's really kind of been growing and growing and she's yes. certainly been on the circuit yes absolutely nice to see that book get a lot more recognition uh, Nicole Georges who has a new book about, about a, a troublesome dog um, but she's always delightful uh, Julia, uh, whose last name I'm afraid to say. Which one? Let's <laughs> Julia Grafer. Oh, Grafer. Grafer. Okay, I apologize, Julia, uh, who I like very much. Um, Jonathan Gray, who's actually more of an academic, who will be doing some moderating. And I mentioned the great Karen Green. Uh, there's also now some of these names are going to be on some really terrific panels. So let me just jump to some of the panels uh, because there is a. Shapeshifters novelists write comics, and that's going to be on September seventeenth. And well, that's the festival to... actually takes place on the seventeenth, correct? Uh, really, the sixteenth and the seventeenth. Right. Okay. Uh, the sixteenth, the Saturday, being Children's Day. Okay. But the uh, but the day that all the books are the, all the, the panels are. This, but is it like the big setup only on Sunday? Correct. No, it's, it should be out there on Saturday too. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, yes, both days. I've only uh, ever been one. Most day. of the most of the panels really not all of them, but most of them will be on Sunday. But okay. there will there are some panels on Children's Day on that Saturday, um, including um, Gene Yang once again. But he's going to be in conversation with uh, Jacqueline Woodson, uh, um, the author of Brown Girl Dreaming, National Book Award winner for young people's literature, uh, and Rita Williams Garcia, uh, another children's book author, and Ellen O. And they will be discussing Gene's program, Reading Without Walls, which is really an effort by him uh, aimed uh, as part of his duties as the National Ambassador for Young People's Literature. Uh, It's a program by him to encourage kids to read beyond their own experiences, to read a different format than you may ordinarily do. If you only read prose books, pick up a, a graphic novel or even an ebook. So that's going to happen on Children's Day, uh, in addition to some other things. But on Sunday, uh, that's when the panels start uh, in, in earnest. And the Shapeshifters panel that I mentioned is really about novelists writing comics. So uh, really, the acclaimed novelist, Victor Laval, is going to be there with uh, another novel, Gabby. Rivera, Ben Percy, and it's going to be moderated by cartoonist Aletha Martinez. Um, and there's there's just really a bunch of great battles. Yeah, basically, if you're in New York yes. and have uh, some time on Sunday, you should totally go to downtown Brooklyn. It's all set up right around the central kind of civic arena there. Mm-hmm. I'm also close to the Fulton Mall, which is my new favorite shopping place. It's, oh, my God, it's so amazing. Yes. <laughs> it's also really close to um, all the wonderful food at City Center yes. and to the new City Point um, well, that's what power. I'm talking about, City Point. Oh, City but, Point but with that, the food yeah. court yeah. and yeah. the Alamo Draft about House. This, yeah. Food court. And, and it's right at the there. subway. Yes, and a Brook Festival. Oh, it could be more <laughs> wonderful. Anyway, I, well, I would be going, but I'll be down in Bethesda for SPX. No, so, no. Um, I'll, I'll see you Saturday. Yes. But I should say also that 
publisher after publisher is telling me that you know the Brooklyn Book Festival because they also will be uh, their borough hall they're going to be tables and exhibitors and they're going to be selling books I mean I'm hearing publishers over and over again say that it is one of their biggest day for sales well you know we're really seeing um, you know book festivals just as, just as the book store has survived disruption in some format ba- barely barely in the you know certainly independent so so far so far so far survived but you know the book festival has thrived and uh this really is a uh you know i'm here as you're saying a lot of comics publishers are really going more to book festivals and they're doing very yes. well there and um of course the brooklyn book festival is the successor to new york is book country the very venerable um, long-running book fest that took place on Fifth Avenue in New York slash Tube Sock Festival. <laughs> Tube Sock. What do you mean? Well, bu- well, well. Uh, New York is book country was was the book right. festival of New York for many years, but it had uh, some flaws toward the end. Yes, yes, it drew yes. an enormous amount of people, but uh, there were a vast number of vendors and exhibitors there. That I mean, really had nothing to do. Right, with right. I, you know, I only saw it in its end years, so I did not see it um, in its prime, I suppose. But um, yeah. Anyway, Brooklyn Book Festival it seems to be run on a little tighter, so we yeah, don't have oh, the yes. flea market tube sock contingent evading quite yet. And yeah. also, the layout that they have set up is so ideal in Brooklyn because while there's the exhibition area right around Borough Hall. There are uh, the uh, the auditoriums and the various venues for the presentations and the panels are within a block away at other really great institutions, St. Francis College, uh, the, the Brooklyn Historical Society. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're very comfortable. They're very easy to get to. Uh, there's, you know, bars and restaurants around also if you want to pop out Just and get something. Just if you need to grab a bite, so, there's no problem. There's it's awesome. A, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I mean, it does sound... Um, you know, like a distraction, but like I say, you know, that whole downtown <laughs> Brooklyn, shopping. but the, but it really has grown up is what I'm saying. Yes, so no, like right. you would not, you will not starve to death as Calvin points no, out. It's, it it's, really is a great, great day. It's ideal. And usually a beautiful fall snap yeah. in the air just as it's beginning to, you yeah. know. And even if it rains a little bit, you know, all of the booths are covered. And you know what? You can we dash out. We love it if out. it rains. You oh, can if it dash rains, out. It's just magical. It's fun. It's you magical. Know, little, as my grandmas used to say, you won't melt. No, not at all. No. <laughs> so, so go to the Brooklyn Book Festival. Yes. Go to SPX too. SPX well, is yes. awesome. I mean, you know, SPX uh, has a huge uh, outreach program as well, and they just did a big. Um, a program at the National Book Festival, actually. Oh, so, well, you know, they're involved, very much involved with that, with the Library of Congress. The, you know, they have a, a, a talk now that's associated with SPX cool. on Friday before this year. It'll be Charles Brownstein from the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. Cool. Um, you know, this year's uh, SPX is another awesome show. Uh, let's see. I, I had it all pulled up here, and then I lost it, of course. But, uh, you know, guests include Jillian Tamaki and uh, Eleanor Davis. Cool. Um let me see. Faves. Yes. Uh, yeah, Mel Ferris is going to be oh, there. Oh, well, so, you know well, my now feelings we, for We Mel. know all about her, so we're not going to say it again. Um, anyway, so let's see who we have here for... Uh, we love you, for, Emil. Okay. Uh, okay. Till, Tilly Walden is going to be there. You know, I, I love her. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you guys always do this. So enthusiastic. I know. I can't help but, myself. you know, uh, yes. Okay. It's very distracting when okay, you do that. Go for okay. It. So, uh, Michael DeForge, Gilbert Hernandez, Gene Yang will also be there. Uh, Keith Knight, Shannon Wheeler, uh, Ed for Nate Powell, Gabrielle Bell, a lot of double T towners. Uh, uh, Ethan Riley, Pope Hats, uh, Andrew Iden of March. 
Um, and then the international guests include Albert Montes, uh, Tommy Matsuri, Anne uh, de Pommier, and Alex Ellis, a really prominent French cartoonist. Cool. Um, this year they have a big, um, a huge, huge um, evolution in their programming. There will be three tracks uh, at once this time, and oh, no. uh, including. <laughs> Um, a lot of really great stuff there. There's one that I'm totally looking forward to, which will be Eleanor Davis and Jillian Tamaki in conversation. Oh, you know, I think they're just yeah. my, my two. Come on, you can't. What is it? We can't say anything. God, we can't agree come with on. you. I know. Come on, you're, you're, this is supposed to be fun too. This podcast. I, I know, but you for us as well as you. It is, except that. Anyway, okay. Well, it's, it's very interesting. So, uh, and so the the schedule, of course, the Ignatz Awards will be presented. Uh, this year's nominees include, uh, well, you know, I'm totally whiffing it here. So, uh, but anyway, the uh, amazing uh, SPX is always one of the top shows of the year. And everybody, you know, the publishers really love it. They sell a lot of books there. It's a really great place for debuts. Uh, the list of debuts is also outstanding. There's a ton of books from Drone and Quarterly. They have a new Tom Gold book. Um, the uh, you know the Seth continuation of Clyde Fans is out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 going to be another great uh, comics weekend, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess my one complaint that I usually have about the Brooklyn Book Festival because I got spoiled by the one year I was in Los Angeles with the Los Angeles Book Festival is they don't really have science fiction programming. They don't it's not a thing they do. It's like sure? it's all it's I mean it's it's I mean it's all sort of grouped under fiction and they have like mm. one science fiction author and it's it's oh I'm sorry they have one panel. St- structures of power, politics, science fiction and fantasy. But if you don't want to read about mm. politics then no. All right. Well, I don't know what the rest of the programming is. I'm sort of overly focused on comics. Yep. Um, but, I mean, I would check that closer. Um, well, okay. I think they have... I think Kate's right. I think they yeah. don't do well, a lot of genre programming no. there. They don't yeah. do things that I think it is actually... I mean, I've looked at all the programs. They certainly have some authors who are well-known mm. from some genre yeah, fiction, but they, but they don't really just break them out. You're, they're, they're, they don't even, like... Yeah. yeah. Because, like, they had... I mean, they didn't overwhelmingly do it, but they had a couple panels that... At, in at the LA Book Festival uh-huh. that were science fiction themed or you know romance themed or something like that to cater to that part of the book audience but i really do feel like the Brooklyn Book Festival is a little more prestige which is its own niche yeah, um yeah. but yeah, it, i guess it's a, a nice sign that they can see the prestige possibilities of comics and they can see comics as as a legitimate high art thing for their high art mm-hmm. festival. Well, I think that's a very that's a very telling point right there. You know, uh, you know what? Bo- I just got a book to uh, this came in, which was Hillary Shute's book coming out oh, yeah. later this mm-hmm. year, Why Com- uh, Why Comics, and which is a really I just started to read it, but it's a really excellent kind of mm. overview of the whole literary comics phenomenon. And um, uh, you know, comics are really embedded in there. <laughs> There's so few. There's only one or two, and the one or two that there are are very uh, frustrating. But there's. What do you uh, mean embedded into? Embedded into the the book world. Oh yeah, yes, more and more so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a few holdouts like the New York Times uh, bestseller <laughs> list that will never stop talking about. But um. Nor should we. Yes. Yeah. No. I mean, this has sort of been you know our our project here to shepherd that that phenomenon into to being to to embed 
comics into the book world and frankly to make sure the book world pays attention to the comics world absolutely uh, the larger comics world as well um so our our evil plot continues Uh, exactly (laughs) um but um yeah well i mean the brooklyn i know that there is actually on the committee there is some discussion because uh we we lean heavily toward literary comics and there is uh, some discussion about opening it up to actually more genre comics as well. Um, now, we haven't been especially successful in that regard, uh, but the discussion has happened. Well, it I continues to happen. But I mean, I, I, I don't think that, that that's necessarily... I mean, if they're going to open it up to the kind of books Kate's talking about, well, then they should open it up to genre comics as well. I agree. But if they're I, not, know, But then, if they're not, then you know well, what? I mean, I don't. maybe that's not the mission statement of it, you yeah. know? Yeah. I, and I mean, the fact that literary comics are allowed in and, and you know, science fiction isn't is, uh, you know, a little hurrah for our side. On the other hand, I would say that science fiction certainly uh, is a wide-ranging genre, which definitely has some more literary prestige stuff out of there. Course, but, absolutely. No you know, question about it. So, moving on. Yeah. Anyway. Go to a comics festival near you. Yeah, anyway. Yes. Uh, yes, and we'll be back. Uh, I'm sure we'll all be doing some interviews, so you'll yeah, know, yes. be looking we'll for our yes. special we'll uh, special and... edition next time we talk. Yes. Okay, so, uh, you know, it's a pretty, uh, aside from getting ready for all that stuff, and, you know, we won't bore you with our New York Comic Con preparations, but that's pretty much where my head yeah. is these days. Yeah, so there, I think everybody, there's not a lot of news coming out. So basically, we've had to kind of scrape the bottom of the barrel this week for... Uh, for an old school comics controversy. <laughs> yeah, boy, it doesn't get much it, more it old school. It does not get more old yeah. school than this. I mean, frankly, the only thing that can make it more old school is if it weren't on the internet and we literally heard it at the bar. That's true. <laughs> it is a, a internet version yeah. of bar chatter. It's a virtual bar, yeah. So, well, did, well you want to outline the new controversy, uh, Heidi? Well, sure. Um, well, you, 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 basically on the comic show, the website is, is a... <laughs> a takedown of Craig Yo and Craig Yo books uh, yeah. claiming that they're schlocky reprints that um, that defile the historic record of comics and and which certainly you could argue this or that or the other thing and uh, but but I think a more serious charge that's made is that by putting out these faster cheaper reprints that it destroys the market for more serious and more scholarly reprints um, and so this touched off a, a huge debate everywhere uh, I mean, I'll be honest. It's not the first time I've heard people complaining about Craig mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> in person or even on yeah. some secret parts of the internet. So, sure. and I mean, listen, I'm friends with Craig. I wrote yeah, an yeah. intro to one of his books, so I'm kind of like uh, friendly with all all people, uh, all sides of it. But it sure was a good old schlock fest, you know. It's like that Yankee brawl, except comics. <laughs> good, way, good put. Good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, I read the uh, the R.J. Casey. Um, uh, review, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, comics history is worse off because of the books of Craig Yo. I mean, really, I don't know. To me, uh, he makes some. Uh, it seems to me some substantial and clear claims about the quality um, of at least some of Craig's books. Uh, but on the, on the other hand, he uses the the tried and true um, uh, comics journal method of loading it up with inflammatory, dismissive, ad hominem attack yes. and, and invic- uh, um, uh, invective, uh, a very personally uh, aimed 
So it just seems like overkill for legitimate criticism. Well, I, I listen. And I, he doesn't talk that much about killing the market. That's in the comments. Well, file. that is. And you know something? This is where, you know, RJ Casey works for Fanographics. Um, uh-huh. but, but, but really, like, they badmouth a lot of Fanographics. Most. I think yeah. a little more germane is the fact that Dan Nadell is a co-editor of the PCJ.com. Yes. And yes. Dan definitely alluded to, again, in the comments, yeah. is a very specific case where Dan was working on a book and Craig put out a book before him, and then this publisher said, oh, we're not going to do that book. Well, now, is that true? I don't know. Well, and how long does it take Dan to write a book? Well, well it takes Dan's, Dan a long time. Dan, Dan's yeah. a good, very, yeah, and, yeah, he does a very good author and publisher, but, but, well, I'm sorry, go on. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is that an argument could be made with, with no insult to either side, that if someone takes long enough to write their book, someone else might write that book first. It yep. happens. Right, and, but, I, but I think a more specific charge is that that Craig Yo gets wind of these books and rushes out a book or something like that. Now, is that uh, true? Yeah, I, don't I, don't I don't know. But I, I listen. I, I I felt like like I know Dan doesn't like Craig. You know, I'm friends with Dan. Calvin and I we used to teach at his hey, class. All this. Absolutely. Um, we've had, you know Craig's but a guest on this podcast. So sure. you know you know once again we sure. we've and I've interviewed uh, Dan on the podcast. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So so we're we're sort of observers. But I I will say this. If Dan had these serious, uh, there's also a, allusion to Art Spiegelman having some legal beef with Craig Yo. And you know, if if they wanted to write an expose of these bad things that Craig Yo has done, then they should have done that. They should have written yeah. a news story instead of just putting it in the comments. Instead of just investigating, yeah, putting it in the comments and writing, as Calvin said, this kind of ad hominem invective. Because yeah. I'll tell you, like you know. The, what ended up happening is people buying more. They're Craig running Yo, out and buying like, a like everybody was come out and and said, "I like Craig Yo. I'm and pro I'm, Yo. I'm pro Yo. I am pro Yo." So it had the exact opposite effect that was intended, except for cranky pants who like to sit around the bar and badmouth other people. Yeah, in I mean, plus, I, I mean, look, I, I don't know. The, Dan was writing a book, and the publisher turned it down. Publishers turn down books for lots of reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with the market. They do it all the time. Maybe they've got a couple of books on their list already. Maybe they don't know anything about comics, so they don't understand the difference between a Craig Yo book and a Dan Nadell book. I mean, I, I'm awful. I'm just always a little skeptical of this notion that, um, you know, some party knows exactly how many books the market can bear. Um, you know, a book success has a, a books can succeed in oversaturated markets if sometimes just by dumb luck. However, I, I agree with basically what you're saying. There's a, you know, if really Craig is such a menace, there's a different kind of article that should have been yeah. written. Yeah. Instead of a Instead typical of like, TCG, I'm, we're going to find somebody and really well, f*** them up. I mean, this is... <laughs> Excuse my language. This is Calvin, not, this is a family sorry. podcast. Sorry. Um, you know, this is not even a... a a typical TCJ thing. I mean, you know, what this showed me was that the old attack taggers of the olden days, I mean, they're gone. I mean, the I was, in the olden days, it would have been like the comics intelligentsia. Oh, you know, this populist is being attacked. I must join in. And there was a very small coterie that jumped in. And most of the people, you know, I would say between the new comics media and the old comics media and the middle brow comics media, the middle brow comics media jumped in to attack Craig Yo. The new comics media didn't give a flying hootie pooty 
and you know the rest of us are sitting here podcasting about it because we thought it was funny yeah although i have to be <laughs> i i saw quite a bit of support for craig um both in the TC, TCJ comments and on Facebook. Yeah, but I, I mean, I'm talking specifically about what I would call comics Twitter, you know, like journalists like, you know, who are on sites like Comics Bulletin and women write about comics yeah. and, and so on. It's, you know, Comics Mint and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they don't really give a, 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 give a yeah, I'm crap sure they, yeah. about about reprints, you know? There's certainly welled up a certain amount of, uh, of, of comics frenzied, you know, energy. It was, um, you know what it was like? It was like the Expendables. It was like we got one last mission. <laughs> well, that's a good point. Yeah, they, they, they get up enough, ra- you know, pseudo rage or whatever it is. And I, and I will say for whatever, you know, for whatever faults his books have, has, uh, they're fun, they're enjoyable. They bring whole sections of comics history to life that a vast number of young people have no clue about. Uh, I've been on panels with him. I did. I was going to do a story about his weird superheroes. I didn't write it, but I interviewed him. I'm going to tell you, it was one of the most delightful half an hours of discussion about comics that I knew very little bit about that I could recommend to anyone. I mean, his books are fun, and I do think they... they on the contrary, the comics industry is not the worst for wear. Comics industry and, and maybe a little bit more academic-oriented comics uh, publishers, and they should thank him. Right. I mean, he's keeping interest in a lot of these works alive. Yeah. Just I mean, my opinion. You know, some of these books, some of these comics, you know, Craig does public domain stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's why he puts them out. He put he is a cheapskate. I'll say that. Yeah. But, um, you know, some of these comics don't need um, heavy scholarly annotation. Yeah. Okay. Some of them are meant to be read in a cheap, schlocky reprint. So, yeah. you know, more, more power to Bingo. you. Bingo. Yeah. yeah. Furthermore, there's room for both They're in right. this world. The audiences are different. And, you know, I mean, and the, sometimes you don't want to have a, like, deep scholarly dissection of Little Abner. You just want to read Little Abner. Yeah. <laughs> or with Craig, Craig's books, you can read about them, and then you can get a lot of funny anecdotes about the yeah. authors, who, the people who put them together. It's I, a different the, audience. The Weird Superheroes books, those, those things are hilarious. I, I mean, they're just fun. You can sit and drink a beer and read those, read the books and the accounts of them. And I say Craig will have you dying laughing. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So anyway, it was sure fun though. It was yes, fun. Yeah. I think everybody Return came. To the old I days. think everybody came out of it with they had their say, and um, you know, someday there will be a scholarly appreciation of Milt Gross. I'm sure. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm sure. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, now on a more depressing note, <laughs> sales. Uh, well, I wouldn't even say this is depressing. So uh, these just came out this morning, uh, just the, the, the August. I mean, it's not even that depressing. But, you know, that's continuing. The diamond numbers are out, and uh, Marvel still continues to win. Uh, to be number one, although this month maybe they shrank the gap a little bit, uh, yeah, the yeah. number one comic. You know, DC had a big hit with Dark Knight Metal and uh, the Batman uh, button button books. Um, Interesting. And uh, really? so... Um, yeah, I mean that was the number three, uh, the one, two, three periodicals. But in year-to-year sales, uh, we're still down this year. Uh, graphic novels from Diamond. These numbers are all from Diamond, yeah. by the way. Um, graphic novels year-to-date are still down eleven point six percent in hmm. um, dollars and uh, twelve point seven in units. And for the year, comics and gra- graphic novels combined are still down 10% in dollars. So, you know, hmm, is it curious. this just a 
correction um you know the the rage over marvel's lenticular covers mm. continues unabated uh you know the controversy over these uh wait, wait. you know it's more like can marvel do anything right anymore <laughs> i don't know if they can you know but, on, uh, on, the, on the graphic Wars novel side you know it, it, we don't have a, a blockbuster bestseller like march coursing through no that's true that's true so, and uh, i mean i think there's a lot of books but mm. i totally agree you know a lot of people I've, we've said this on this podcast before that losing the New York Times bestseller list for yeah. graphic novels has really put a crimp in. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and uh, as, as it said, in-house. It's like for a publisher that has a book on that bestseller list, then that is more like, oh, yeah. I guess we should push this book more because it's successful. So we're not seeing that. that and uh, mm-hmm. that, I think that's a significant part. And it part. makes it easy for booksellers to say, oh, these are the significant graphic novels. Yeah, we're going to display them. them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, it's um, it's an, always a shorthand for, for retailers to say, well, let's what do we have on the list? Let's make sure we have plenty of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think we'll all be really curious um when we get those october numbers and uh with the lenticular covers you know is marvel's gambit going to pay off or not i mean it's a time-tested method making people buy books they can't sell to get books they can um <laughs> i i would say there's probably about a hundred of the best retailers decided not to order these lenticular yeah. covers but then another hundreds went big and you know, they're going to sell them on eBay. These are going to be collectibles. Yeah. Is there going to be a feeding frenzy to collect these? Is the money they make selling them so. on is eBay? Is DC doing something like it, too? They've well, they do lenticular covers, but they're open to order. You can order uh-huh. any number that you want, mm-hmm. and they become bestsellers because of that. So, yeah. But Marvel has these yeah. ordering thresholds, which, you know, basically you have to buy, order 300 copies of a book you can't sell in order to get like a hundred copies of the lenticular so yeah it's it's like cereal box prizes for adults it's ridiculous ah yes yeah um you know know. i i personally am feeling a lot of marvel fatigue i keep i'm so tired of waiting for it to get good again that i'm like i've like stopped caring about waiting i'm just like oh marvel uh yeah they do do superhero books don't they yeah, I should check some of those out again sometime, huh? But Kate, were you ever a Marvel reader? It depended. So I was I was having there were moments when they would be doing really well and I'd be like, Oh hey, this is a great title. I'm gonna follow it. I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna buy it consistently. And then um What were some of the titles that you followed? Well, let's see, I really loved the Kid Loki run of Journey into Mystery. Um I enjoyed Squirrel Girl uh great deal until quite frankly my feelings about the rest of marvel kind of tanked me um i enjoyed new avengers before civil war hit um i've i've certainly i enjoyed um some of angela although i got on that boat a little late i mean there are definitely marvel titles that i have read and enjoyed i would never what i would call marvel zombie where i read everything they came out but um, what would happen is I'd like a book, I'd start following it, I'd be like, hey, this is awesome. And then editorial would be like, hey, we're changing the direction of this book completely and putting a totally different team on it, and it's not going to be basically the same book anymore. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm out. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, listen, I think what you just said, and I've had a lot of conversations over the last couple of weeks with people, you know, Marvel just can't win. If you go on Reddit or 4chan, you will see, and on the Beats comments and on Twitter, you will see this... You know, comics 
gamer gators going on and on about Marvel being ruled by social justice warriors. And I mean, they are consistent. They are attacking the writers on Twitter all the time. There's there's this new, you know, I got into an argument and then I was just like, I don't have time for this. Yeah. So I just stopped it, cut it off. But some people are very upset by it. So, you know, Marvel creators are under fire from gamer gators on before being too liberal, being too social justice warriors. And for having these these you know characters who who weren't white men, and um, you know, and then Kate, when you say that you liked Squirrel Girl, but you stopped reading it because you didn't like the rest of what Marvel was doing, I I just I mean it was like, well, Squirrel Girl was one of those books where it was episodic enough that you could pick up an issue whenever. Right. So I did sort of lose track occasionally. Sure, sure. Because I wouldn't always get into the comic shop in time, and things would double ship, and I'd be like, which issue are we on again? Um, but I mean, I admit it just, you have bad feelings toward a comic company because you're just kind of tired of the rest of the stuff they're doing. And it can be harder to muster up enthusiasm for the stuff you do like. And it's, it's unfortunate, but that's just the way human emotions work sometimes. It is, but I, I, you know, what really amazes me is like when Marvel does something like, you know, they hired Saladin Ahmed, a very well thought of science fiction author and, you know, a man of color, a Muslim writer to work on one of their books. And... You know, I mean, he's Black Bolt, so nobody says a word. But, uh, you know, I mean, nobody, I mean, they don't get any props for that, you well, know? I that, mean, because everybody's like, oh, it's a gimmick. Oh, it's like, no, okay, you yeah, hired this really cool writer. All right, well, what a, a gimmick. Jesus, what a gimmick. You yeah. know? No, I, 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 I'm not talking about that. Kind. No, I know you're not. I'm, no, I'm not blaming no, you. It's not aiming I'm just at you, saying yeah. people in general yeah. that I notice don't, you know. Well, well, yeah, but, I mean, I guess the thing is that I'm thinking out about it more from a, the product from a Watsonian perspective than a Doylean perspective. I'm just thinking of. I'm not. I'm not thinking about the man behind the curtain. I'm thinking about the the book that I read, if that makes sense. Sure. And the product, the book that you read, has. You know, I've been like, oh well, um, you know, what's going on, and in these comics that I'm sort of tangentially interested in, sometimes I buy. Oh, it's that, you know, stupid Hail Hydra secret empire thing. Right. Well, I'm not interested in that storyline, yeah. so I put it aside. Or, like, it's Civil War two. whoop-de-doo. Well, absolutely. And then I put it aside. Yeah, I like, mean, there's, I mean there's there no... may be wonderful people at Marvel doing very earnest, good-for-all-of-us things, but if the books that are coming out don't do it for me, then the books that are coming out don't. No, absolutely. I'm not, oh, not absolutely. saying. It's, I'm not yeah. saying that you have any reason to read them. I'm. I'm just saying it's like you know, like 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 Marvel could put, I, I you know, like gold bars or you know, I, you know, <laughs> m food for starving orphans. Okay, in 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 wherever in their books and people would be you know they're just doing it for the publicity it's just like they just can't win at this well, point i'll tell you and, how and, they can and, win and, okay yes you're good because they need to hear this <laughs> well it but it's the hard way they what they have to do is they have to just have more like consistently good readable books which <laughs> well, there's that <laughs> which are interrupted by a crazy event every two weeks <laughs> right, I agree. But I'm also like, but I mean, how would you know that they're good? Well, I mean, I feel like if, if it weren't interrupted, like, I go to the comic book store, I check out what's on the shelves, and, you know, if something interests me, I'll buy it. But if it's in the middle of some event that I've heard about, I hear, oh, what's this event about? 
and then it's about something that sounds dumb to me, then I'm not going to pick up any book that has that event on the cover. I just won't. So, like, for example, this uh, Marvel Legacies one. Isn't that the one where they go back to, like, the Stone Age or something? Is that the one where they well, go they're back doing, to Well, they're bringing, they're uniting. That's a whole line of they're uniting. Yeah. Legacy is a whole line of comics. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very, there's, who knows what's really going on there. There's some really weird stuff going on. Right. I, right I, now, I do so. think that we've kind of entered in, into the uh, period of perpetual events. Yeah. I mean, there, there's never going to be a time now. This is, uh, this seems to be, this has taken hold of the minds of the editorial Directors at both at both companies. I but, mean, DC's but, planning a whole big well, yeah, bunch of but, stuff too. Don't I, 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 but the thing is that like there's such a thing as a line wide event as opposed to a regular event, and a regular event like is no no. It I makes know it, I I know you're tr- I know go on don't let me interrupt. Like you can have perpetual event season if each event only takes over maybe a quarter of your books, but if if almost all your books are taken over by an event almost all the time then it just becomes harder to follow what's going on if you only follow one book. Yeah. Right. And that doesn't make me want to buy all ten books. That want, makes me want to buy zero books. So, you know, I mean, I'll continue to check them out on the shelves, and if something looks interesting to me that's not part of an event I hate, then I'll buy it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, your attitude is incredibly typical, um, but luckily uh, Marvel's... Um, and user and and uh, customer is the retailer and the re you know the retailers a lot of them are split but a lot of them are jumping in on these this you know gimmicks that that Marvel's using to totally prop up their their sales. I mean, that's an interesting point too because in the direct market, I mean, the, in, in while we talk about readers, I mean, the actual buyer is the is the is the store owner. Yeah. Yeah, but the store owner won't prop up a title obviously. forever. Obvi- well, uh, yeah. Well, obviously the store owner wants to bu- wants to bring books in that he thinks people will buy. Yeah. Um, but I do wonder: is he ordering the right books? I mean, they're not ordering every single well line. I mean, Calvin, well, this is sort of the topic we've been discussing yeah. for the past fourteen years here. <laughs> you know, so, since uh, I joined it, Publishers it, Weekly. So <laughs> I mean, when we when, when, when we did our panel. It. You know, when we did our panel, I mean, all uh, those panel about uh, selling comics to a diverse audience. I mean, all we did, there were a bunch of direct market people up there and former direct market people up there, who I, I mean, they well, they were critics. They were critical of some Marvel titles, but not all Marvel titles. They were critical of some DC titles, but not all DC titles. I mean, I, I was enc- I was encouraged by those retailers who seemed to have a very savvy way of serving both gra- their graphic novel fans and their monthly comics fans and you i mean obviously these are some of the better retailers i think we had on that panel but the one you had at comic the one they had at at san diego yeah so what we ran which we ran that as yes we ran it as you can actually go go and listen to it go back and listen to it yes what a great i mean those retailers up there make you think that well you know the the comics business is is in good a good place at least at the retail level and then you go you you go online and this this drumbeat anti uh social justice warriors uh, I I just don't get it. I I mean, and what you're saying is you're not not buying the books because they're trying to be diverse. You just don't like the storytelling. Yeah, in fact, diverse is a, a selling point to me. Sure, if it's, of course, if it's a good book. Uh, and most of the books I read are pretty damn diverse. But sure. uh, they also have to be books that I feel like buying. Uh, yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, and I go. I mean, I don't read as much superhero comics. Uh, I for some reason I'm vaguely curious about metal, um, only because I. Well, did, did you guys read metal? I read it, yes. I did not. 
But you're not no interest in that. It, it doesn't. Uh, you know, uh, so far nothing's made me go. Oh yeah, I really want to read that. But I'll keep my ear. What out. about Doomsday Clock? Well, that's a... well. If somebody says it's amazing, then I'll read it. But as it is, I'm just kind of like, eh. Well, you know, it just seems. I mean, in that instance, it seems as though this is a. I mean, th- that's a Jeff Johns book, right? Yeah. It just seems like this is another. He, I mean, he's tried to kind of stitch the whole. I mean, the whole DC world inside and outside of the universe together and what they did it in Rebirth, they seem to be going down that rabbit hole again. I mean, in both Doomsday Clock and in Metal. Well, yeah. it's, it's, just, a, Which it's is, just the tail end of Rebirth. He was planning this from the very beginning. Yeah, well, here it comes. But I'm just saying, it seems like more of what we saw yeah, as you're saying, it's the same thing. Well, you know, I, I think what, what we're, we're, we're just seeing a paradigm shift. I mean, we talk about this every week. If this is the overall our overarching you know storyline of the more to come podcast <laughs> yes. it is it is the the you know the shift i i just there was a story about a, a comic shop that reopened after four years in chicago and uh, i'm forgetting the name of the store but basically it shut down but the guy's back and he says you know i'm carrying fewer periodicals and more graphic novels and more merchandise no. you know i mean funko pops is a whole whole nother thing i am going to to say something that will lose me some geek cred here oh i don't get funko pops <laughs> i don't i don't get it i don't me object to them neither. i just do not understand the appeal i'm like I they're like bobbleheads but yeah. they don't bobble that's right <laughs> well I, I i'm a little i mean i like cool looking things i don't necessarily want to stand in line for an hour to get them but um that's a phenomenon out there it sure is people want their stuff um yeah. i mean i like to look at them but i, I don't have to yeah. I don't well, have to fight through a line to well, get one. Let's talk about things that are unexpected and unwanted and unexplainable. Um, you know, Marvel, like I said, they just, you know, on the beat, I, I had to kind of call a moratorium. I, I went on our staff Slack and I said, is there anything people like about Marvel? Because I feel like we've just been slagging them, slagging them, slagging them. But then they do something like Inhumans. <laughs> and, and like no one can stop laughing now i did not go to the imax to see inhumans uh, but basically this is a tv show the latest abc tv show it'll be debuting on fridays later this year, this month uh but they got imax marvel went in and got imax to pay for the first two episodes that they could show them in imax theater and maybe imax thought they were getting some kind of fun thing like guardians of the galaxy because who'd ever heard of guardians of the galaxy right you know but but even the director of this <laughs> has said like oh yeah you know they told me to make it fast and cheap and we didn't and that's what i'm really good at is making things quickly and and on very low budget and uh, every time anything's been released, a trailer is still just risible. And even the director, the poor guy, was like when the first, you know, one of the Inhumans is Medusa who has the hair. Uh, I mean, that is the biggest pre- appeal, like visual appeal yes. of the most most iconic part of the Inhumans. Even people who don't know Inhumans is visually is giant dog, sentient hair. Yes. And so apparently... When the first still came out, everyone could see it was a very bad wig, and it looked horrible. It, it, it really and, looked really bad. And then, like, when bad. the first trailer came out with the hair, it looked it was even worse. And the poor director came out and said, well, you know, uh, it wasn't ready. Like, the special effects, I know they weren't good. They weren't finished yet. And then, like, I mean, I've been following... They released a trailer? And I, not... <laughs> I've been tracking this story for the last few bits. This is, like, and ridiculous. Like, like, it's unheard of, the... Sh- the hostility that the show like they did like at the television critics tour they do this this every like august 
for the fall shows that are coming out, everybody goes out and, you know, and it's the biggest dog and pony show with softball questions. When the Inhumans cast came out, it was like, how come it looks so bad? And the <laughs> Jeff Loeb is like, well, you know, this is another great show. And the cast, the guy who stars as Black Bolt was like, I feel like sad Affleck here. I mean, and they <laughs> they left the stage early. They couldn't, I mean. This did is he really un- say that? Yes, he did. He oh, said, I feel God. like sad, sad Affleck. Sad Affleck. like sad Affleck. And, and here's the best part. That, that, so then, so oh, then it came, like over the weekend, it just opened this past weekend, it became a meme on Twitter where people would go to their local IMAX and make a screenshot of how many tickets were sold. <laughs> oh, and I mean, geez. it would be like five or six. Oh, man. And then, oh, no. And then on Monday morning, it was so bad that the, 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 you know, the blame game started. And they were saying that Medusa's, so they had to go back and do reshoots because Medusa's hair looked so bad. But because they had to spend an extra $100,000 on Medusa's hair, they no longer had enough money for Lockjaw. So he disappears in the last, the later episodes because they just don't have enough money for the CGI. This is, uh, I, I, this is I, well, it's kind of sad and funny. I don't know what <laughs> really I don't quite so, know how to, so how to I, describe. So uh, I have, I have heard rumors, Heidi, that all of this happened because of some kind of weird contractual thing that might involve Perlmutter. Do you have any well, inside the, scoop uh, on this? The, you know, I, I've never Root been told evil. this. I've never been told this directly, <laughs> but the story is that because Fox owned the uh, X-Men uh, that about, and I was told this, uh, you know, at a bar, there was this, this person was like <laughs> telling me things and just said, look, I got one word for you. Inhumans. Remember this. It's Inhumans. Like it was. It was. And this was probably five or six years ago. So basically, they've been, Marvel has been trying to push the Inhumans as the X Men. And, you know, first, this was going to be a movie that was going to be part of the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe. And then, mysteriously, when uh, Kevin Feige was no longer working for Ike Perlmutter. The Inhumans movie got taken off the schedule and this whole IMAX thing happened. So all the circumstantial evidence certainly backs up this interpretation, as does the fact that it was incredibly cheap because so, Ike is super cheap. Okay, so so the interpretation is the that Ike doesn't want to promote the X-Men and he thinks that the Inhumans can be the next X-Men and so they've yeah, been we'll pushing the Inhumans they'll substitute <laughs> the Inhumans and this is what this TV show is going to be the next big thing. Yeah, can I get the mashed potatoes instead of the fries? Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, it's like the rice will totally substitute for <laughs> yeah. the fries. No, and you're like, but rice and fries. No, very different. it's more like the rice will substitute for the chicken McNuggets. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. You get, but you got a lot of people. They want their fries, and they don't want anything else. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and that's the only thing that will do. Yeah. Well, listen. <laughs> we'll all be able to judge for ourselves all when right. uh, when the Inhumans debuts on ABC in a special double length premiere episode on September 29th. Double well, you know, tacky. You know, <laughs> given that I don't have to pay twenty dollars to see that, I probably will see that. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's all watch it, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> all right. Okay. Yes. So there will be certainly more to come on that. Oh, yes. And now, the briefs. So it's sort of flashback era in manga, because guess what has returned to the page? Rurouni Kenshin. (gasps) 
And by which I do mean starring Kenshin, not some random side character. It's going to be. It's called the Hokkaido Arc. Um, fans are very psyched. It's not out in English yet, but we can all wait for the rumors to get back from Japan and hopefully. So the scanlators are working overtime right as we speak. Go on. Well, for, or or for those of us who are not, you know, helping the scanlators along, at the very least. Uh, they're going to translate into English eventually, and until sure. then, we can hear rumors. Um, and also, speaking of classic manga, there's the worldwide Naruto run. Oh, yes. So, commemorating the 18th anniversary of the publication of Naruto, there is a worldwide fan event in which you, too, can run like Naruto. The main character of Naruto has a very distinctive <laughs> run. I think the author thought that by having the character's arms streaming out behind him, that would prove he was running quickly. Instead, it just looks very <laughs> it silly. It's <looks> weird. <laughs> and so fans have noticed this, and some of them have noticed it with love. Ah. So they're to, they're organized through the internet. There is going to be a worldwide Naruto run. Uh, many places, including the United States and Singapore, in which um, hundreds of fans have signed up to run in public together <laughs> like Naruto. Like, like Naruto, okay. Oh man, I can't wait to see that on YouTube. Yeah, It's well, going to be beautiful. It'll be a sight. And one more ridiculous thing. So, you would think that a giant robot that can't talk and an African-American girl that can fly have very little in common. Except for being appealing to children. Oh. <laughs> However, DC and Hasbro would beg to differ with you on this subject. Oh, Despite okay. the fact that the originally comic book character of Bumblebee predates Transformers by almost a decade. Oh. And the fact that uh, Bumblebee in the DC Superhero Girls cartoon predates... Right. Hasbro tried marking the heck out of the word Bumblebee. Um, Hasbro is taking DC to court over having a toy named Bumblebee. Right. Despite the fact that one is a male alien robot and the other is a superhero oh, girl. Okay, you buried the lead a little bit there. It's not a robot. It's a transformer. It's That's a big true. difference. It's it a is car. a transformer. It's a car he, that turns into a giant he robot. Is, he is a sentient alien car. transforming car. Yeah. robot car. Yeah, it's a car. And, on, and it's interesting. I mean, Bumblebee has kind of been. Re I mean, the Bumblebee, the the girly superhero, has kind of been revived, hasn't she? That's yeah, DC she, superhero girl. She, yeah. she sort of fell by the yeah. wayside alongside many other superheroes who didn't sure. get much attention. Um, they decided they wanted a more diverse cast of girls for DC superhero girls to have a wider array of role models. So they dug Bumblebee yes. out of the archives, and but she was pre-existing. She was, and yeah. uh, you know, bottom line here, Mattel handle has the licensing for DC and the hugely successful DC Superhero Girls toys, yes. which are totally taking over the shelves. And uh, Hasbro is Mattel's greatest uh, rival, and a fact they thought Hasbro might buy Mattel a couple of years ago, but they haven't yet. And uh, so they have the Transformers. So, yeah. Uh, and foolishly, you know, DC, I will s jump in right quickly and say that DC, uh, DC's Bumblebee um, predates the Transformers Bumblebee. However, Hasbro went ahead and trademarked it as a toy before DC. Oh. So, however, their 
um, argument is based on that people won't be able to tell the difference between bumblebees. And I mean that, you know, you'd have to be in, yeah. uh, oh. I, I mean, I can't use the word that I would normally you'd use. You'd have to be a marketing executive yes, to be to that be, dumb. Yeah, you, you would have to really have some cognitive difficulties in that case. No so. small child will make that mistake. No. No. I yes. guarantee you. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. Well. All right. More well, to come. More to come. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right. We'll, we'll continue getting ready for our conventions and New York Comic Con yeah. looming. And until then, uh, there will be more to come.